Well, good morning, Hillside. Good morning. Everybody grab your seats. Grab your seats. Good, good frosty morning to you all. Uh, my name is uh, Caleb. I'm an intern here at Hillside. It's my pleasure uh, to be speaking to you guys this morning. Uh, today, I was given uh, one verse to speak on. Uh, I guess that really tells you a lot about how much the pastor here trusts me. But, um, <laughs> no, but you're probably actually familiar uh, with the verse uh, that, we're, that we're going through today. It's in Matthew 7:12, and it's often called the golden rule. Uh, let me read it for you. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, I know that this is an incredibly popular verse. Uh, I would argue I've talked about this specific verse more in uh, non-Christian and secular culture and in conversations than I even have in, like, our own church walls, you know? I, I remember being in high school and having a conversation with a friend of mine who would call herself an atheist. And uh, we were talking about morals and how we live our life. And I remember her saying very clearly, actually, there is one thing that my life, one rule that my life kind of revolves around, and it's this, treat others as you want to be treated. We had a good laugh when I said, oh, well, actually, that's a, that's a guiding principle in my own life, too. Uh, but, but also saying, you know, oh, yeah, Jesus actually was the one who said it first. I even remember going down to when I was just like a little kid in my public school, elementary school, and our principal, a guy named Mr. Pisaglia, after a fight broke out in our school, sat everyone down and told us that this, the golden rule, was the way in which we should be acting towards one another. In philosophies across the world, modern philosophies, humanism, existentialism, this, these lines keep popping up. It's almost like it's really hard to get away from it. So what is it that Jesus is saying here, and why is it really important that he said it? Uh, would you join me as we pray over this morning? Father, we thank you for being here with us this morning. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, and we just pray that this morning, Father, that you would speak um, in spite of me, Father, that you would speak to your people, Lord. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. First off, it is important to note uh, that Jesus here is hinting at what even at the time would have been uh, uh, ancient universal kind of wisdom. There, there was a story, a Jewish story during the second century BC, about 150, 200 years before Jesus was even walking around, of two rabbis, two Jewish teachers, uh, one guy named Rabbi Shammai and one guy named Rabbi Hillel. Uh, these two were kind of in a feud with one another, and uh, one day a Gentile, a non-Jew, comes to Israel, and, and he goes to Rabbi Shammai first, and he says, if you can tell me the whole of the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Bible, while I stand on one foot, I'll convert right now, I'll convert on the spot, <laughs> Rabbi Shammai 
uh, is so offended by this blasphemy that he takes his shoe off, beats this man, and chases him away. <laughs> the same man then goes to Rabbi Hillel and asks him the same question. And Rabbi Hillel responds with this. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. <laughs> Those were his words. Uh, but doesn't that sound familiar? In, in Buddhism, you have this kind of like slogan, do no harm. And even Confucius of, of the Far East uh, says, what one does not wish for oneself, one ought not do for anyone else. So although Jesus wasn't the first one to hint at these, uh, uh, allude to these ideas, he is actually the first to express it as a positive call to action. Rather than saying what not to do, as these other religious figures have said at the time, Jesus calls us, his followers, to actually take the initiative, uh, to, to love, to care for the needs of others the same way that we do for ourselves. According to Jesus, it isn't good enough just to not be bad. We must look for opportunities to actually do good. Now, do any of you know where the term uh, golden rule comes from? Because I know I, I didn't until a few days ago. <laughs> uh, the, there's this second century Roman emperor named Alexander Severus. And uh, by this time, about 200 years after Jesus was walking around, his, his, his teachings were already spread far around the Middle East. And this, this emperor thought this specific thing that Jesus said was so good that it was such a brilliant statement that he had it engraved in gold on his walls. Now, the golden rule, uh, that's kind of the original lore of the story, but it actually falls in line with what we consider three other rules. Uh, some argue there's more. In fact, we might be talking about a fourth one later on today. But the three rules are this, the wooden rule, the silver rule, and the golden rule. The wooded rule, you've also all probably heard before. Uh, it's an eye for an eye, or do to others what they do to you. Uh, it, it, kind of slang today would be tit for tat. Uh, Merriam-Webster's defines it as responding in kind. And for the record, this rule starts out really nice. You know, you say something nice to me, I say something nice to you. You, you say, hey, Caleb, I like your sweater. I say, Scott, I love your tie. It's a great one. You know, you say, oh, Caleb, I love your curls. I love your face. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the kind, you know, it starts off really, really well. Uh, you buy me lunch, I buy you dinner. You say something snarky to me, I get passive aggressive with you. You know, <laughs> you, you criticize me, I gossip behind your back. You push me, I punch you in the face. You may laugh, but, but this is actually still kind of the cycle that we are in as humans, as humanity. You know, you see this all the time in toddlers. You take my toy, I'm going to take it back like that thing is my livelihood. Uh, the silver rule is definitely an upgrade to this. And, and we've talked about it today already. Uh, don't do to others what you don't want to have done to you. Uh, 
this is uh, this rule being around the ancient world all the time already is often kind of confused with the golden rule. You know, people will often say things like, oh, Buddhism, Christianity, all these religions, they're saying the same thing. But if you actually look at it, there is a big, big difference between not doing anything in order to not cause suffering and doing something to alleviate suffering. You know, do no harm, great idea. I'm all on board. But it's not the same as loving your enemy. Don't oppress the poor in your shopping habits and in the way in which you live your life. All good. We want to do that. But it's not the same as doing justice for the poor. One of my favorite teachers here in Canada is a guy named Bruxy Cavey. He's a pastor out in Ontario. Uh, and uh, he has this great line, which is, to put emphasis on one's morality, on not harming anyone, as many religions do, is to graduate to the morality of a stone. You see, a rock, it doesn't hurt anyone. It just kind of sits there doing nothing. <laughs> we, on the other hand, we were made for something, you know? We're made to love. Uh, while I was at, at school, I remember uh, sitting in on a lecture of a famous uh, religious, kind of like top New York Times bestselling religious leader. And he talked about how much he admired holy men across all religions who simply do nothing as their expression of holiness or godliness. He said that they are an example of the value of being still. They are to be admired for having achieved true stillness, true emptiness. If only we could become like them, he said. Now, I understand there is an importance of stillness and, and, and quiet. In fact, it's something I probably need more of in my own life, you know? But I'm not going to lie. I couldn't help but disagree with this guy. Maybe in a world where all of our pain and suffering is an illusion, that we're all just together dreaming up all the bad things that are happening in this world, maybe then being still would be a good way to approach life. But in, our, in, in the real world, where, where pain is real and real people are hurting, we need to do more than just be stone still. In, in Western culture, especially, where we live, uh, there's people who desire greatly to grow in this ability to love others the way that they want to be loved. Uh, but we often get bogged down in these little ego-driven issues. For instance, later in Matthew, Jesus says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and many people, it's really easy even for me uh, to use this teaching to further encourage what I think is kind of like implied in this passage. Oh, I need to first, you know, figure out my self-love. I need to first focus on myself and love myself as well as I possibly can before I can effectively love others. But Jesus... He's not teaching that we need to learn to love ourselves better because self-love here is assumed. You know, if we get thirsty, what do we do? We go and get a drink. If, if you get hungry, you go to the fridge, you grab some food. Right now, many of you are probably sitting in your seats, you know, a little uncomfortable. What do you do? You readjust. <laughs> That's how you readjust, you know? 
Uh, <laughs> uh, we think about ourselves first all the time. And it really isn't to, to say, hey, this self-love is terrible. No, we do need to love ourselves better. We do need to have the eyes to see us, the way in which Jesus sees us. But Jesus here is encouraging us to go beyond self-centeredness into other-centeredness. So let's get back on track. Sorry, I keep, I, I keep tangentially moving along here. The golden rule, what is Jesus saying? First of all, I want, I want to establish that I actually don't think Jesus is making just another rule to follow. The Bible doesn't call this the golden rule, and I think that's, that's actually important. Uh, uh, rules often only make sense within one context. Here in Canada, for instance, we drive on the right side of the road, right? It's really important that you drive on the right side of the road, not just for your own safety, for the safety of everyone else on the road. If you took this rule to heart and really made it a part of your life, you know, and then moved to England, that's not just problematic. It's probably dangerous, too, you know? Rules only, often only work within certain contexts. Jesus here is offering us a principle, a guiding orientation, an ethic that is truly transferable across space and time wherever you are. As one author puts it, laws have a tendency to create a what-I-can-get-away-with mentality. Living a certain way so we don't pay a fine, or we don't go to jail, or we don't go to hell. This, once again, though, falls into the trap of being a self-centered morality. <laughs> uh, and it's enough to keep society in line. You know, these rules are good, they're important, but it's not enough to change the world the way in which Jesus had envisioned for us, his followers. Uh, for example, on the highway, nobody's thinking, I wonder how far under the speed limit I can go and get away with it, you know? Not a, not a single person is thinking that on the road. Everyone's thinking, how much over can we go? The way in which we as humans react to law is how far beyond it can we safely go. The, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this in Romans 7. I'm not going to delve into all that right now. Go home, read Romans 7. It's a great read. But even Paul recognizes that sin has a way of pushing us to the test the limits of the law. Jesus here, Jesus is offer, offering us an alternative, a new way to look out at the world, a view that doesn't have us at the center, a, a view that doesn't make us test it and want to see how much we can bend and break these rules, but rather a view that challenges us to go above and beyond what may be expected, one that is deeply connected to the communities that we're in and the communities around us. When Jesus, in this passage, uh, opens with, in everything, in everything, the Greek really does translate to in everything. <laughs> Oftentimes, you know, uh, we'll come up here and we'll preach and we'll talk about, oh, this is the hidden meaning of the Greek man the text. They did a good job of translating this part, folks. In everything, in every relational encounter. It, it doesn't surprise us then that Jesus' one-line summary of the law, and of the prophets uh, is to do unto others what you would have done unto you. For Jesus, you can't separate your relationship with God from your relationship with 
your mom and your partner and your brother and your sister and your friends and your neighbors and your enemies. Uh, a, a pastor of mine while I was at university had a great story about this. He told the story about how he and his wife bought a really special dress for their seven-year-old daughter. And this girl, she loved this dress. It was very expensive, but she just adored it. It was her favorite thing in the whole world. And they only had one rule when it came to this dress. She wasn't allowed to get it dirty. So if she was to go to school uh, at, at recess time, she wasn't allowed to go and play in the grass and stuff like that, but only if she was wearing this dress. And, 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 and they agreed with her. They made this rule with her because it's a good rule. It's an expensive dress, and they wanted to keep it safe. And lo and behold, one day, she comes home, and just across the entire side of her dress, it's just caked in mud. And, and uh, uh, the pastor, he says, oh, man, just immediately, he says, oh, my goodness, what happened? Why would you do this? We told you so many times, the one rule that you had, don't wear this dress, don't get it dirty, da, da, da. And this girl starts crying, and she eventually says, she tells the story about how her friend had fallen off a bike and into this muddy part of this ditch, and she'd really scraped up her shin, and she was crying, and she needed help. And this girl got into it, and, 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 and her really nice dress got all dirty and brought this girl back out. Uh, the pastor, he talks about how this was, uh, you know, one of those moments he looks back to as a parent is like, man, did I ever miss the mark on that one. Because this girl, she gets it, you know. Uh, rules are important, and often rules are good. But if they're not put through, an ethic of love first, an ethic that treats others as we want to be treated, these rules will take us off the path of Jesus and onto the path of self-centeredness. Jesus says this again later, actually, in the book of John. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Don't get lost in the weeds, folks. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I was pretty nervous about preaching on this verse this week. I'm pretty, I'm, uh, just so you know, I'm really new to the whole preaching thing. And so in the couple weeks before, you know, I'm preparing a sermon, I get really stressed. And I understand that for everyone, stress looks different. But for me, I would categorize my stress, I, I kind of hermit. You know, that, that's what I do. I immediately start pushing away everyone else. I want to spend time by myself. Uh, <laughs> I begin to actually ignore the needs of those around me. This is especially problematic when you're an extrovert as well, like I am. Man, I need people, it turns out. <laughs> so I end up drained and I end up tired which is not a good place to be approaching this passage from. Once you've lived with me, it becomes clear when I'm under stress. My, my poor mother, she gets the brunt of it. You see, I'm, I'm in and I'm coming in uh, to some serious seasons of transitions. For those of you who don't know, I just moved back from school. I've been at school for Cal in Calgary for the last four and a half years. Just moved back, and I'm trying to figure out, hey, what does my future look like right now? 
trying to put some time of prayer and thinking into this. And my mom, being the wise soul that she is, uh, she wants to help me. She wants to guide me. She's a great mom. They, you know, my parents always tell me, Caleb, we're your greatest cheerleaders. They say it a little too much, honestly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> terrible thing to complain about, I know. And so whenever we have conversations about uh, my future and stuff like that, uh, and me, you know, being the perfect example of emotional health that I can possibly be, you know, I listen effectively and I respond with patience and I, and I adapt what she's saying and, and put it into my own life, right? That's how I work. No, no, I wish. No, that's not how I act. I get stubborn, you know. I begin to, I, I, I start pushing back. Uh, we fight, and I just don't listen to anything she's saying. Uh, I just kind of am sitting there in my head preparing the next retort, uh, the next kind of uh, thing that I'm going to say, and often resorting, you know, the worst times, to cutting her down, you know, in an effort to resist the idea that I need someone's help or that, God forbid, I have weaknesses that I need to manage. I begin to treat my parents with entitlement rather than love. I begin to treat my friends who I deeply, deeply love as people and objects as what can they do for me. So I'm not standing here preaching from this text like I have found it. I've, done the, I've, I've found the answer. Look at how great life is when you do this. No, I'm standing here as a fellow broken human who doesn't always love the way that we've been called to love and who is in deep need of the love of our Father. But imagine, folks, imagine if the next time you were fighting with your uh, spouse or your boss or your kids or your parents, uh, and, and they say something to you that gets under your skin, the way in which only people who know you really well can, right? And, and you begin preparing that nuclear arsenal level comeback that's going to come down and it's going to be great and I'm going to categorically win this argument. Imagine if before that happens, the Holy Spirit, you hear that little voice in your head, how would you want to be treated right now? Are you showing the same kind of love and patience that you feel like you want right now? Okay, so that obviously got a little heavier than maybe y'all bargained for this Sunday morning. But uh, <laughs> we've got a couple more things I want to point out from this passage that I really want to get to because there's some pretty cool stuff going on. Uh, the first thing is it's an observation made by a New Testament scholar, a guy named Dale Bruner, where he interprets this golden rule as not only a call into our empathy, not only our call, a call into how we put ourselves into each other's shoes, but also a call into our imaginations. You see, uh, this, this verse, it does put us into somebody else's shoes, but it also makes us the example. Do unto others what you want done for you. 
this allows our imaginations to run wild with the wonderful ways in which we can treat each other. And folks, this is radical, and not just for Jesus' time 2,000 years ago. This is still radical today. Jesus is giving the disciples autonomy over their decisions. How would you like to be treated? Do that. Now, uh, Jesus here is putting us in the driver's seat for a lot of these things. But when I say Jesus is putting us in the driver's seat, this is not some scapegoat for biblical teaching. Uh, You know, this being the sum of the law and, and the prophets means that, oh, we're good. We've got this kind of one verse. We don't need the rest of this now. You know, Jesus gave it to us. We're good. Let's get rid of it. We have to remember that Jesus was also a rabbi. He was also a Bible teacher. And and we see time and time again in Scripture that uh, 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 Jesus has this extremely high, high view of what the Bible says. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. Folks, this isn't new law. What Jesus did is he absorbed the law into his own life, okay? He absorbed it into his own life and lived it, giving us the ways and, 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 uh, and teaching us a better way to live out the true essence of these laws. Another uh, criticism often given uh, to this becoming a guiding principle in our life is, what if my needs are different from the needs of those around me? What looks and feels like love to some often feels different to others. Don't worry. Jesus has got it covered. Uh, Remember at the beginning when we were talking about the three different types of rules, the wooden rule, the silver rule, the golden rule? Well, there's a fourth one, and uh, it's often called the platinum rule, and I'm actually going to cheat a little bit here, and I'm going to jump out of Matthew and right into John. Don't tell the pastor. Uh, where, we fi- where we find this verse, it's John 13, 34, and it's where Jesus says this. As I have loved you, love one another. When things get tricky, and we don't entirely know what to do, you know, and our brokenness maybe seeps into the way in which we're interpreting the world, we can look to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth of God incarnate, God come down, and we can look at the way that he loved those around him. It's the Christmas season. Happy December, everybody. Uh, And in our churches, we actually do a really, really good job of celebrating on focusing on the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But we often miss, miss the fact that because God came down, he had a life. (laughs) <laughs> and, and not just any life, a life that we get to look at. We get to, we get to study and see what he did, and, and, and we can model our lives after the way God quite literally lived his life. For many of you, this entire sermon, none of it's new news. This is old news for you. But I found that in my time praying over this passage, the Lord has revealed to me so many ways in which I have been lacking in the area of treating others the way I want to be treated. From small day-to-day encounters on the bus, at the mall, at work, to some of 
the most important relationships in my life. I need to remember that Christ has called us into a better way of living. And one, folks, that will have ripple effects into the world. At this point, I'm going to call the worship team up. But my challenge for you this week, uh, especially as school and work pick up the pace, you know, you're preparing for the holidays, everyone's stressed and busy, try to find ways to love others in extraordinary fashion. And I mean that, that word extraordinary. Do it, <laughs> go above what would be ordinary. Go beyond what is expected. Love in the unexpected and love with the entirety of your imaginations as Christ first loved us. So would you join me as we pray, as we close? Father, thank you that you sent your son as a baby in a manger, Lord, to come and live life and, and to join with us in all of the real suffering and struggles of the world. Father, we pray that in the weeks to come, your Holy Spirit would awaken in us new desires to love those around us and to love those who it's hard sometimes to love. Jesus, we know that you are with us, but that you have also called us to be a light where we are. Father, let this be our apologetic, Father, that we would be a people known for their love. We love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.